Afternoon, everybody. It's uh, great to be here with you. Uh, my name's Marshall, if I haven't met you, and uh, it's, it's a privilege to be able to share with you this afternoon. Uh, let's pray as we come to God's Word. Um, Father God, um, we do pray that you would be with us today and that you will give us ears to hear your Word. As we talk about um, a topic that may be um, difficult for some of us, uh, a topic we don't normally talk about, sex, uh, we pray that you would, um, you, through your spirit, you would be convicting and comforting and strengthening us uh, and that we might respond uh, in the way that you're prompting us. And we pray it in Jesus' name. Amen. Have we got the... Uh, yep. All right. I met Ben... Uh, at uni back in 1991. Yes, I know, we're talking ancient history. I know many of you can't imagine a world without smartphones and the internet, but trust me when I tell you that such a world did exist. Back then, I was just starting out in student ministry uh, at Sydney Uni, and I began meeting Ben to disciple him. Uh, Ben's not his real name, by the way, um, Pretty soon after we started meeting, Ben shared some of his struggles with being addicted to pornography. He was a young man, a, a, um, a sincere Christian wanting to follow God and grow in his faith, and yet he felt enslaved and weighed down by this struggle. I remember the first time he talked to me um, about it, he was so ashamed, so weighed down that he couldn't even lift his head up and look me in the eye. Ben had been crushed and enslaved by sexual sin. Fast forward the clock to years later, about uh, 10 or more years later, we were living in China uh, and we got to know Peter. Uh, he went to the same international church that Julie and I went to. Peter was a friendly, outgoing, warm guy who went out of his way to support Julie and I through a particularly difficult time. He stood out as someone who was passionate in his relationship with God. Then we came back to Australia in 2006 to go to Bible college. We went back to China to the same city in 2009. We went back to the same church. We were devastated to hear the news that Peter had left his wife with their two children and run off with another woman. When the pastor of the church confronted him, he was unrepentant. He said that he believed that God was leaving, leading him to leave his wife and chase after this other woman. He felt It felt so right, he said. Peter had been deceived in a massive way by the allure of sexual sin. The book of Proverbs has a lot to say to us when it comes to sex and sex used in the wrong way, sexual sin. Because it has the power to enslave, deceive, humiliate, alienate and ultimately to destroy us. And our sexuality is so central to our core being, to who we are, that we are all affected by sexual temptation in some way. Not just those of us who are married, young singles, older singles, divorced, widowed, it affects us all. The allure of sex or pornography is like, like a drug that numbs the pain 
It promises instant gratification to make us feel good, to take away our loneliness, to fill our emptiness. But like eating fairy floss, it promises so much, but then at the end of the day, it doesn't deliver. Playing with it is like playing with fire. Instead of giving us what we really want, sexual sin enslaves us to a cycle of helpless bondage and misery. But as with laziness, sloth, that we looked at a couple of weeks ago in the book of Proverbs, the cure for sexual sin goes beyond just changing our behaviour. It requires a spiritual cure. And we'll see that it involves turning to the one who can satisfy our desires in a way that sex and relationships never can. Well, let's get into uh, the book of Proverbs. The first point I want to make is that sexual sin is alluring. That is, it's appealing. Look at Proverbs uh, chapter 5, verse 3 with me. For the lips of the adulterous woman drip honey, and her speech is smoother than oil. And then Proverbs 7, 16 to 18. I've covered my bed with coloured linens from Egypt. I've perfumed my bed with myrrh, aloes and cinnamon. Come, let, let us drink deeply of love till morning. Let's enjoy ourselves with love. And then verse 21, which you haven't got there. With persuasive words, she led him astray. She seduced him with smooth talk. The thing about, so this is talking about an adulterous woman luring an unsuspecting man into her house. The thing about these, these women is that they are very appealing. They're not ugly witches with hooked noses and warts on their faces. To the men they are calling to, they are very tempting. You see, the women are catching these men at a time when they are vulnerable, perhaps lonely, isolated. And to give in to his desires and go through that door to the woman's bedroom must have seemed like the most natural thing in the world to do at that time. By the way, in the book of Proverbs, it mostly talks about an adulterous woman um, luring a man in. But that's not to pick on, pick on women. Uh, it's simply the fact that the author is talking to his son and telling him of the pitfalls that he needs to avoid. It could just as easily flip the coin and warn of the, of the man who lures the, the woman into his house. Julie and I enjoy watching Netflix at night. Um, after about 9pm, I turn into a vegetable and I'm capable of little else than turning the remote on and seeing what's on Netflix. But it's been quite a struggle for us to find a show that's suitable because most shows that we... Or, yeah, almost most shows that we watch, it feels like, um, people are constantly jumping into bed with whoever they feel like um, jumping into bed with, where sex is reduced to a recreational activity, like going for a run or seeing a movie. If you feel like it, do it. Do it with whoever you want, whoever is around at the time, it seems. And it's made to seem like the most natural thing in the world to do. The allure of sexual sin is that if it feel, that it feels right because it promises to fulfil a need, a desire that runs so deep. And 
and we're all in danger of, um, of being tempted by that. None of us are immune. We might read these passages in Proverbs and think, well, how stupid is that man to fall for that adulterous woman? How blind to fall into that trap? But in the heat of the moment, the allure of sexual sin can feel overwhelming. When you're alone with that young woman or young man who you really connect with, life has been hard and she seems to understand when your family or your spouse or your friends don't understand. Her parents are away for the weekend. She lives just down the road. It would be so easy to just spend the night there. No one's going to get hurt, are they? Two consenting adults? Or perhaps when you are on your own late at night, a hard day at work or you just finished exams, you need something to unwind. You're bored and lonely. Just one click of the mouse on the computer can take you to images that help make you feel good. Just a quick look. It's not going to hurt, is it? It feels so good. Netflix wants to tell us that sex can be a recreational activity with anyone we want. Like other recreation, it feels good. It helps us to relax, unwind. And we can have the fun without the cost. But Proverbs tells a different story. It tells us not to buy the lie because sexual sin always has a cost. Our second point. We saw a moment ago that the adulterous woman speaks words that drip with honey. She sounds so appealing, but those words have a bite. Look with me at Proverbs 5.4. But in the end, this is the adulterous woman, she is bitter as gall, sharp as a double-edged sword. Her feet go down to death, her steps lead straight to the grave. And then Proverbs 7 verse 27. Can a man scoop fire into his lap without his clothes being burnt? Can a man walk on hot coals without his feet being scorched? So is he who sleeps with another man's wife. No one who touches her will go unpunished. And of course, it's not just the man who commits adultery. It's a single woman who sleeps with a boyfriend. It's a young man who has a one-night fling at a party. It's using sex as a casual recreational activity in any way outside of marriage, outside of the way that God intended for marriage to be to be used, to, for, for sex to be used. Now at this point, you might be thinking, wait a minute, Marshall. I can understand how adultery is wrong and damaging, but what about two consenting adults who love each other even though they aren't married? Surely that can't be bad, can it? Surely there's nothing wrong with that. Now it is true that Proverbs doesn't actually address that question of, of two people before they are married having sex. That's because in the world of Proverbs, that scenario didn't exist. The whole dating scene didn't exist. Because in the, in the world of Proverbs, people were either married or single. Uh, sorry, they were either married or, um, um, or their spouse had died. They were widowed. 
Uh, they married at a young age. People didn't wait till their 30s, till their late 20s or 30s even, uh, as we see today, to get married. It just wasn't part of their culture. But what Proverbs does make crystal clear is that sex is a very powerful thing. And if, if we use it in the wrong way, whether, whether we married or not, it can destroy us. Have a look at Proverbs 6, verse 32 with me. But a man who commits adultery has no sense. Whoever does so destroys himself. Now the writer could have talked about destroying the marriage. He could, have about, he could have talked about destroying the lives of other people. Actually, two marriages. He could have talked about destroying the, the lives of at least three other people and children if, if they're involved as well. But no, instead he talks about destroying himself. Why is that? To answer that, we need to understand what God says about the way that he designed sex. We won't turn to it, but... Back in Genesis chapter 2, God says that he designed man and woman to become one flesh when they marry. They are no longer two independent people, but they are to become united in the deepest, closest human relationship possible. And part of the expression of that relationship is to, is, is to be the sexual act, the sexual union between husband and wife. We talk about a marriage being consummated. And when that happens, the emotional bond between the two is cemented. The man and woman give a part of themselves to each other. Sex isn't just a, sec uh, isn't just a physical act. In some ways, it's a, a spiritual act because it's saying to God, we're living out your purposes for us in marriage and expressing loving, lifelong commitment to each other. When we rip sex out of that context and sleep with someone who isn't our lifelong partner, we're losing part of ourselves to another person. We're becoming emotionally and spiritually bound to them in a way that, can that we can only really be bound to a husband or a wife for life. It's like ripping out part of our soul and losing it to someone who might walk away tomorrow or next month or next year. It destroys us. Sexual sin always has a cost. We're going to look quickly at three areas where it can cost us. It can cost us in the area of humiliation, in entrapment and alienation. First, let's look at humiliation. Proverbs 6.33 says, Blows and disgrace are his lot, that is the man who falls into adultery, and his shame will never be wiped away. Then again in Proverbs 5 verse, verse 8, if I can get it. Keep to a path far from her, the adulterous woman, to not go near the door of her house, lest you lose your honour to others and your dignity to one who is cruel. Disgrace, shame, loss of honour, loss of dignity. They might not be the first things we think about when it comes to sexual sin, but for those who are caught in it, it can be devastating, particularly for a Christian. The man who has claimed to be committed to his wife 
having to face her after he's caught having an affair. Walking into a church and having to look at his friends and his wife's friends after they hear about it. Then what does he say to the husband of the woman who is cheated on? Before Julie and I were married, she attended a youth group at another church in Sydney. Um, it was a pretty healthy youth group uh, with a very energetic, keen youth leader. But it became evident that something wasn't right. A while later, it came out that the youth leader who was married had been sleeping with another married woman in the church. He'd been covering it up for some time. But then it all came out into the open. It destroyed him and their marriage. It may have destroyed the other marriage as well. It certainly destroyed the youth group as all these young kids who looked up to this youth leader were suddenly disillusioned at this man who had been living a lie. And it destroyed his ministry. Imagine the shame of that man exposed as a fraud, found out for his shameful double life. Secondly, sexual sin can lead to entrapment. Slavery to something that we hate but have no power to break away from. Speaking about sexual sin, the author says, uh, Proverbs says in five, Proverbs 5 verse 22, The evil deeds of the wicked ensnare them. The cords of their sins hold them fast. Because sex is the most powerful, most profound expression of love between a man and a woman, it's like a deadly weapon if used the wrong way. It can enslave and destroy us. Like my friend Ben was enslaved by pornography. We want to run away from it, break free. He knew it was wrong. But the old habits of instant gratification and escapism just keep us in their clutches. Pornography is a vicious master because we feel degraded, dirty, unworthy and it makes women or men into objects, into sexual objects. It makes sex a, a plaything to gratify us and it's a million miles from God's intended design of sex as a beautiful, beautiful expression of love for a lifelong partner. And it's not just porn that's addictive. Sleeping around, having affairs, going to prostitutes, they can all become a quick fix to make us feel good for a few minutes, an hour, a night. Something that we use as a substitute for real relationships and commitment. Something that covers up our sense of emptiness and loneliness. And that can become an addiction. Sexual sin is also alienating our third point. Proverbs 6, verse 34. For jealousy arouses a husband's fury, and he will show no mercy when he takes revenge. Where there is adultery involved, it will always leave an ugly trail of anger, jealousy, betrayal, broken trust. The most sacred of all relationships, marriage, 
is shattered by adultery, breaking the most intimate trust between a man and his wife. Even when the marriage is saved, the wounds are still permanent. I read one blog by uh, a Christian woman, I think she was an Aussie, um, talking about the scars left by her husband having an affair. This is what she writes. Suspicion tainted everything and I found it so hard to respect him for anything he did or said. I was so hurt and so disappointed by the one who was supposed to love and protect me. Adultery is the most obvious case where alienation results, but not the only one. Once again, whenever we use sex in a way that's apart from God's intended use of it in marriage, it damages us. It causes alienation. The Christian boyfriend and girlfriend who sleep together, it feels so right at the time, they have the best intentions to be committed to each other and to get married, but then they change, they drift apart, they find someone else, they get married. But they find that they are scarred permanently by their previous relationships because emotionally part of themselves belongs to that previous relationship. And then there's the guilt. They know they didn't live up to God's plan in the way they use sex. And that affects their intimacy with their future spouses. In God's grace, they are forgiven for those mistakes, but they'll still carry those wounds with them, perhaps for the rest of their lives. So we've seen that sexual sin leads to humiliation. Our Christian witness is shattered. Our reputation is ruined. Our dignity, our sense of self-worth is shaken to the core. Sexual sin also leads to entrapment. Sex is such a powerful thing that used in the wrong way we become a slave to it. And sexual sin causes alienation, broken relationships, anger, betrayal, emotional scars that stay with us for years, perhaps all our lives. It's a pretty grim picture, isn't it? But there is good news. There is good news. There is hope. <coughs> because God has a plan to deal with brokenness and sin. Not just sexual sin, but sin in every area of our lives. Sin in the Bible, in its essence, is a rejection of God and substituting him for something else. For a counterfeit. Something that seems to replace God, but never can. At the heart of sexual sin is looking to sex to do something it was never intended to do. To provide intimacy and satisfaction. You see, only God can do that. Only he can cover up the emotional emptiness and need for satisfaction that's found from a relationship where we have complete acceptance with someone else. And that brings us to our last point, the cure for sexual sin. The book of Proverbs picks up on this idea of sex being linked to finding satisfaction. In chapter 5, 
the writer talking to his son, or a younger man he calls his son, urges him to stay away from the adulterous woman, but instead to remain faithful to his wife. This is what he says in 5.15. Drink water from your own cistern, running water from your own well. He uses this metaphor, this picture of water, to describe finding satisfaction with his wife and specifically in his sexual relationship with her. He goes on, and this is pretty steamy stuff. If you've got children, you might want to cover their ears at this point. In, uh, he goes on in Proverbs 5, 18 to 19. May your fountain be blessed and may you rejoice in the wife of your youth, a loving doe, a graceful deer. May her breasts satisfy you always. May you ever be intoxicated with her love. Fountains and cisterns of water. They're a lovely metaphor for satisfaction. When we're hot and thirsty, nothing can satisfy us like a, a, a cold glass of water. And so the writer is reminding his son that sex within marriage is a wonderful thing. It satisfies in a way that sex used in the wrong way never can. And so on one level we can say that the cure for sexual sin, or perhaps it's more accurate to say the prevention for sexual sin, is to stay, stay satisfied in our marriages. And that's so crucial for us who are married. I need to constantly work at my relationship with Julie to make sure I spend time with her, to foster intimacy, to not to take her for granted, to express my love and appreciation for her. And I want to encourage every married couple that's here to do that. Don't take your marriage for granted. Husbands, see serving your wives as your primary ministry. Because get your marriage right and the other things will fall into place as well. Your relationship with your kids, your ministry in church and outside of church. You'll be in a good place emotionally and spiritually to give to others. But if your marriage goes pear-shaped, if you're not living out your Christian life with your wife or your husband, that's going to ruin or at least severely affect your ministry, your happiness and probably your relationship with God as well. And so finding satisfaction sexually, relationally in marriage is crucial as a preventative for sin. But what about those of us who aren't married? I know a lot of you aren't married. What does Proverbs have to say to us? If you're single or widowed or divorced, this advice about, about marriage doesn't help a lot, does it? But it's not the whole solution. It's not a cure for sexual sin. Because like any sin... There's only one cure. That's to come to the one who dealt with sin once and for all. It's to come to Jesus and put our trust in what he did at the cross. A marriage relationship can be tremendously satisfying, like drinking cold water on a hot day. But we each of us have a deeper, even deeper thirst for a relationship where we can have complete acceptance. To have someone who knows us completely, even more than a spouse, 
We all yearn for a relationship that gives us dignity and value. Someone who loves us not because of what we do or what we like or because we're funny or good-looking or because we're successful. No, none of that. But someone who loves us because they love us. No marriage, no matter how good, can ever do that completely. No boyfriend or girlfriend, no friendship can ever completely fulfil those needs. Only God can be that for us because that's what he created us for, to have our deepest needs met in him. In the last book of the Bible, the book of Revelation, there's a beautiful picture of our future with our king, Jesus. He is described as a lamb because he was sacrificed as an animal for our sins. Have a look with me at Revelation chapter 7, verse 17. For the lamb at the centre of the throne will be their shepherd. He will lead them to springs of living water and God will wipe away every tear from their eyes. That's us who Jesus is describing. He will be our shepherd and we will be his sheep. Notice the metaphor of living water there again. Jesus will lead us to springs of living water. Not in marriage this time, but in a sense it is a marriage, but it's marriage to God through Jesus, which is the ultimate fulfilment of marriage. And he will satisfy our deepest thirst forever. There will be no more tears because God will wipe them away. All our pains from our wounds that sin has left will be gone. All our scars from sexual sin, the regret from past mistakes, the shame that they have left, the hurt from broken relationship, one day they will all be gone. That's our future. Isn't that a wonderful future? But we're not there yet, are we? We're still living in this world, in this body. And while ever we're still in this body, we suffer the effects of a world that is marred by sin. All of us are damaged to one degree or another by sin corrupting our sexuality. And for some of us, that can be crippling. The guilt, feeling enslaved by it broken by it. And I want to finish off just with a word about how Jesus meets us in our sexual brokenness. Perhaps you're like my friend Ben. Perhaps pornography has taken a grip on you and you feel like there's no escape. It's something that in the church I don't think we're terribly good at being open about. So perhaps you feel isolated and not able to talk to anyone about it. And you feel like you're powerless to break out of that cycle. Or perhaps you're living with regret for something that you've done. Maybe you slept with a boyfriend or girlfriend or one night stand. Perhaps you're married and have had an affair. Again, you feel like 
You feel isolated and you feel like you can't talk to anyone about it. You feel like you can't possibly undo the damage that's been done. Perhaps broken relationships and hurt. And you feel like there's no way out. I want to say to you that there is someone who understands. God knows us better than we know ourselves. See, we try to hide who we are, don't we, from each other to one degree or another. We try to cover up our sin. But God knows every one of our thoughts and actions before we even do them. There's no, no sense in trying to cover up from God. And yet, despite him knowing our deepest, darkest thoughts, our most shameful sins, our most twisted motives, through his son Jesus, God has this message for us who trust in his son. Look with me finally at uh, Romans 8, 1-2. Therefore, there is now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus, because through Christ Jesus, the law of the Spirit who gives life has set you free from the law of sin and death. Very simply, that means that Jesus has taken the condemnation that we deserve upon himself when he died on the cross and freed us from sin and death. And now God looks at us as, and sees us as forgiven, uncondemned, accepted. We may have trouble accepting ourselves, but God the one whose judgment matters more than anyone else, God looks at us and sees us as clean. No matter how badly we've messed up, no matter how much damage we've caused ourselves or other people, God wipes the slate clean by Jesus dying on the cross. Yes, there will still be scars from sexual sin. Maybe broken relationships, feelings of guilt, etc. But if you know Jesus and trust in him, it's never too late. You're never too far gone. There's no sin that's too big that cannot be covered by him. And that's good news. Let's pray. Father God, we thank you so much for this good news that... Um, our sexuality, though it is broken, though it is marred by sin, and though we are all affected by it, and we all have some degree of shame uh, and guilt and regret in this area. Lord, we thank you for the wonderful news that because of Jesus, we don't have to stay in that place. Because you have dealt with that. And we ask, Lord, that you help us know that forgiveness and you help us to experience in our lives sexual freedom and freedom from the effects of sin sexually and in every area of our life. And we pray it in Jesus' name. Amen.